cast my light to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior, that curses Body bowed and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance by every stone. Aside still, and all. everyone. Welcome back to Grace Life. It's been forever, hasn't it? And welcome to our friends and guests that are here for the first time. I am grateful uh, for the ways that God has provided for us and, and answered our petitions. My wife reminded me this morning on the way here that it has been over 10 weeks. I think March the 8th was the last time that we gathered here at the Deltona High School campus. So I know there's some people who are not able or don't feel comfortable right now rejoining us. And so we've got Facebook Live here, and we've got our YouTube. Uh, we wanted to continue to live stream. So to those friends and, and guests and uh, people that are watching us from their living room, uh, welcome to Grace Life Live. And for those of you that did make it here, it is wonderful to see you. Uh, and I'm thankful to this high school. They have worked very hard to make sure and accommodate and get us back on campus. And it wasn't easy. So shout out to 
principals uh, Carolyn and Mike and Jeff Carson. Thank you for being with us and helping us get everything set up this morning. Um, it's great to be back. And I just want to start off acknowledging God and his love, his sovereignty, his power, his grace. And then TJ is going to come with the team and lead us in a time of worship. And then we're going to continue with our series on anxiety. It seems pretty appropriate right now. That's where the Lord has us. And we're going to enjoy some time together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the ways that you have answered prayers. It has been a long time, God, since we have been able to be back on this campus. It feels familiar to us. It feels like home to us. And it feels good, Lord, just to be back. Um, even though you, you have provided a way for us to gather and grow and go, our vision has remained the same. It's stronger than it's ever been. Um, but this just feels, it just has a hint and a smell of the familiarity, Lord, that we have longed for. Uh, and for those that you have brought back today, I'm grateful. For those who are not yet ready, we're thankful for technology, Lord, that enables them to be from home. And uh, so I just pray you would come and bless this service. Be here, be present with us, Lord. May we leave encouraged. May we leave with the help and the resources and the promises that you give us to unleash on our fears and our anxieties, God. And so many people are just confessing to struggle with that ongoing struggle, some related to the fear uh, of this virus and some related to the fears of what the new normal will look like Lord, after the dust has settled. So just come and help us this morning. I pray. Thank you for our worship team. Thank you for the greeters. Thank you for the leadership. Thank you for those that are watching the, the little children in the back. Thank you for all the ways that you have met our needs, Lord, and our greatest need to Christ Jesus. And it's in his name and under his banner that we gather today and ask for his help, Lord, and say thank you to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Grace Life. How you guys doing? There you are. I miss you guys. You have no idea. You guys want to stand? We're going to praise the Lord this morning. If you guys want to clap, if you guys want to dance, if you guys want to sing, whatever you guys want to do, we just invite you guys to worship uh, our Heavenly Savior, however you guys do. He's coming on the clouds, kings and kings will bow Every chain will break, his broken hearts declare his peace. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. He is roaring with power, and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. Our God is a lamb, the lamb that was saved for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before him.
open up the gates, make way before the King of Comes to say, is here to set the captives free. The work is on the Lord Almighty. Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. Our God is a lamb, the lamb that was slain For the sins of the world, his blood breaks the chains And every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb And every knee will bow before him I'm the Lord Almighty. Ransom from hell. 
Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. His body the bread, His blood the wine, broken and poured out, all for love. The whole earth trembled, and the veil was torn. Love so amazing, love so amazing. Jesus Messiah, the name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners. The ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, the Lord of all. Oh, my hope is in you. All oh, I hope is in you. All in glory to you, God, the light of the world, all I hope is in you, all I hope is in you, all in glory to you, God. The light of the world, Jesus Messiah, the name of Bobo, blessed be from heaven Jesus Messiah Lord of all Jesus Messiah Lord of all Father God, we just praise you this morning. Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity just to come with our brothers and sisters and just be able to lift up your holy name, Father God. I cast my mind to Calvary 
When Jesus bled and died for me, I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. Body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down on Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah's and all of Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For in these days we will sing Your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. And on the third break of dawn the son of heaven rose and gave will trample death where is your sick the angels roar from Christ the King who praise the name of the Lord our God, who oh, praise His name forevermore. For in this place I will sing, Lord, oh, Lord our God. He shall return in robes of white. Blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise amongst the sun. Praise your name, oh, praise the name of the
My foes are many, they arise against me, but I will hold my I will not fear the war, I will not fear the storm, my help is on the way, my help is on the way. So my God, you will not delay. My refuge and strength always. I will not fear. His promise is true. My God will come through always. Trouble surround me, chaos unbounding, my soul will rest in you. I will not fear the war, I will not fear the storm, my help is on the way. My help is on the way, so my God, you will not delay. My refuge and strength always. I will not fear. This promise is true. My God will come through always. My help comes from the Lord I lift my eyes up My help comes from the Lord I lift my eyes up My help comes from the Lord If my eyes are, my help comes from the Lord. Oh, my God, you will not delay my refuge and strength always. I will not fear this promise. My God will come through always. So, my God, you will not delay my refuge and strength always. I will not fear. His promise is true. My God will come through always.
Father God, just how real is that right now with all this chaos and calamity going around with the riots and the virus that's been going around, how we can still find joy in knowing that God has got our back and he will give us immense peace through all these situations. Amen? I think that's our last song. I'm ready to do a couple more. (laughs) You guys may be seated. I haven't had to use a microphone in so long, I forgot how. Um, You can turn in your Bibles or turn on your device to Philippians 4 this morning. Um, We're going to be starting in verse 8 through 9. And it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Oh, yes. Grace Life. We're going to start the message a little bit different this morning by... uh, an application of what the Apostle Paul tells us to do in this list. And one of the things that he says is whatever is praiseworthy. One of my points this morning is going to be what the Apostle Paul does is basically invite us to set our minds on things that are lofty, that are noble, that are commendable, that are praiseworthy, that are true, and that are just. And so uh, I'm going to invite Miss Marilyn uh, this morning, Marilyn Nugent, to just share a brief testimony of something that's commendable and that's praiseworthy. And before we even preach, we can set our minds on those things. So thank you, Marilyn, for being willing to do that. I think it's on. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see everybody. Um, Many of you have known for the past two and a half years, um, our grandson, Cole, maybe I'll get through this, um, has been battling cancer. And... um, I just want to let all of you know who have been praying that um, his treatment is done and all of the tests are coming back perfect. And uh, even more than we expected, his, um, his bone density is already improving. That was a, a byproduct of the, um, the treatment was that he was losing quite a bit of bone density. And his pancreas is improving. The, the chemo had also damaged his pancreas. So we have so much to be thankful for more than we even anticipated. But part of what I wanted to share in that journey, because it was a question for us, and hopefully it'll help you um, for this whole pandemic situation. Um, I had so many conversations with my daughter through it all when there were crises and difficult situations. And she would say, Mom, I don't know what the outcome will be. All I can do is do the best I know and trust the Lord that no matter what, he's in it. And um, it was, I just picked up a t-shirt for her that said, faith over fear. And I believe that, you know, that's it. We don't know. We don't know whether we can skip the pandemic and get hit by a car. You know, we, we just need to know that we do the best according to our wisdom 
and the grace given to us, and we trust the Lord for the outcome. And uh, he's faithful, and we can have peace, and we can function in that because we don't have to be fearful. So again, thank you all for your prayers, and just wanted to let you know that um, they were all heard and answered even more than we expected. Thank you. Well, I don't really need to say anything else, do I? That's, uh, that's better than a sermon. Sometimes testimonies just take your breath away, don't they? Did you hear what the conversation was between Marilyn and her daughter, though? It was so often we, we entertain these, the, this thought, really. What if? What if? I mean, isn't that the crux of anxiety? It's this nameless fear that we just can't uh, attach an object to. What if this? What if that? And and faith comes in and says, even if, right? Not what if. I was reading a, a letter that C.S. Lewis wrote to one of his friends a long time ago. And he said, now I'm not recommending this, okay, but this is just Lewis being Lewis. He said, perhaps the best practice when we are anxious and worrying is to go ahead and assume the worst, <laughs> right? Go ahead and assume the worst, whatever it is, and then deal with it with faith. It's like, even if the worst case scenario, humanly speaking, were to happen, then what? Then God will give me the resources to deal with it, right? Um, but anyway, that was free. <laughs> no charge for that. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this text together. Father, thank you so much already for having touched us this morning with the songs that we have sang, the conversations that we have had, the prayers we've uttered, the testimony that we've heard about you meeting young Cole and his family and, and their time of need, Lord, and affliction, and from what we can tell, healing his body. God, thank you so much. You are a God with great power. You are a mighty physician. And you hear the prayers of your people, Lord. And you always answer. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's not yet. Sometimes it's a yes. And we give you thanks, Lord, because your wisdom is ultimate. Your ways are higher than our ways. And we bow to the majesty of your sovereign, merciful providence. And we give you thanks for how you have touch that young man and, and answer these prayers, Lord, and shown mercy and compassion. And I ask that you would please come and be with us now as we return to your word. And we trust you have much for us to consider, Lord, on this subject of anxiety. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can turn in your Bible um, to Philippians chapter 4 and just bookmark that. That's where we're going to be this morning. Philippians chapter 4 that Megan has already read for us. And I'm going to read it one more time. I don't always do this, but it's such a short passage, and I really want that to frame our time together. So real quick, again, verses 8 and 9 of Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says, Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, this is a passage on anxiety, 
And we talked a little bit last week about what is anxiety. I want to make sure we're all using the same dictionary here. What is anxiety? It's a word in Greek that literally means to be torn up into pieces, to be just distracted, to be divided, to not be human, to be just chopped up and, and scattered in your thoughts. That's the best definition I've ever encountered of anxiety. It's right there in the Greek. To be in pieces with worry and concern, to be harassed would be another angle at it, to be harassed with care and apprehension. And those of you who have experienced anxiety in high, severe cases or even low, moderate cases, you know that it can absolutely debilitate you, hijack your life, shrink your world, reduce your life, your lifestyle to one of control and avoidance, right? We try to control and avoid. And can I, can I just be really just honest for a minute, just to, just to help you understand your pastor and how anxiety works. Marilyn and I were talking a little bit earlier uh, about the possibility of her sharing a testimony. This is so messed up, man, just the way I think. But I that about your pastor. I, I can sometimes be a control freak. So when somebody introduces something spontaneous or unplanned, I get anxious a little bit. I'm just, I just want to be honest. I want to be real. Because I like to control the whole service, everything that happens, every song. I don't get too crazy with it, worship leaders, hopefully. But introduce, introduce something like that, and my mind instantly goes to, oh, how long's the testimony? What's it going to be about? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Marilyn, just being honest with y'all. Amazing testimony. I'm thankful you shared it. But that's how anxiety can hijack you. Wasn't that an amazing testimony? Aren't you glad that she shared it? At another time and another place, I would have said, no, not this morning. And we would have been bereft of that benefit. Because that's what anxiety can do. It can kill things that serve you and help you and fuel you. And that's unfortunate. That's why Paul and Jesus and Peter and all the other writers in the Bible say, we got to eliminate anxiety. we got to combat it. we got to confront it. we got to address it. we got to attack it. we got to overcome it. Because it does all of those things. And you know this too. It can affect your health. It can impact your relationships. It can rob you of effective living in the world can take away your ability to contribute to society, to be present, to love and serve others, to be a witness. It can re reduce your witness because our anxieties are saying something about our trust, our lack of, and, and God. Anxiety is no good. And that's why in love for us, Paul is saying, brothers, sisters, he loves this church. He has called this church, the Philippian church, that he planted and did jail time for when he was there planning that church. He says, you are my joy and you are my crown. And Paul wrote this letter from prison in Rome. I mean, things that you could be thinking about as a pastor, when you're in prison, Paul was thinking about this church, and he knew that they were experiencing severe anxiety, and he wants to help them, and he wants to help us. That's what he says. We're not going to read the whole book of Philippians, but he's acknowledging, yes, I'm in prison, I know you're anxious and nervous because this is persecution. This is what it costs to be a Christian. And if they did this to your pastor, yeah, they're probably going to do this to you too. He's warning them. There's persecution out there. And then on top of that, there was conflict within the church. Persecution out there, conflict in here. And there's false teaching everywhere. He's been warning them in chapter 3, look out for the, for the Judaizers. Look out for the legalists. Look out for those that are going to try to add something to your completeness in Christ. 
<laughs> so here's the Apostle Paul, and he's saying, look, I know there's things in here, there's things out there, there's things everywhere, and you're anxious. You know, anytime you get instruction from the Bible or from an apostle about anxiety and suffering, it's never in a vacuum. These instructions are attached to real people like you. This was a real congregation that Paul was writing this letter to, and he is showing love for them. And he's saying, I want to help you. I love you. I care about you. I know you're anxious. God knows you're anxious. And he wants to step in and, and meet you at your greatest need and help you. And that's why I rarely say this, but if this is your first time to jump into this series on anxiety, this is only part two, but you really need to go back and listen to what we talked about last week, because this is not really where the Apostle Paul starts, but it is where he finishes. The place where he started is with this radical promise. You know, he doesn't just say, be anxious for nothing. He starts, I think, in the middle of verse five with this promise, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. And that matters. It's one thing if somebody just says, stop it. Would you just stop it? I don't know about you. That doesn't help me. <laughs> I already know I'm supposed to stop it. I already know I'm not supposed to be anxious. I already know it can do all those things, reduce my life, shrink my world, render me ineffective, destroy my testimony. I know all of that. What I need is help. And that's where Paul starts. He says, the Lord is near. And oh my goodness, isn't that amazing? Don't you need to be reminded of that? The Lord is near, first of all. He knows you're anxious. He understands. And he's close by. I don't think that's talking about the second coming, like summer is near. I think it's talking about space, like that microphone is near. God is close by, and he's here to help. So that was the first thing that Paul said last week. He, he gives this promise this assurance that the Lord is near. And then he moves into, not only is God near, God wants you to talk to him about this. He already knows about it, but he wants you to engage with him in prayer. Be, the Lord is near, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. God wants you to talk to him about this. And something unique and powerful and unprecedented happens when you talk to God about your problems and you process them in his presence. He's the first person we're supposed to go to and talk about this. So it started with this assurance, God is near. It moves into engage with God in prayer. And then it ended with this amazing promise. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Now, how about that? There's these two promises with prayer in the middle. Something for you to do, pray. And a promise, God's peace will attend you and it will guard you and keep you. And, and I've told you that that term is electric. Guard is like this military term. You know, the, the whole city of Philippi was guarded by Roman sentries. And Paul picks up on that language. He's contextualizing. He's putting this instruction in shoe leather. for. He's making it ultra relevant. He goes, the peace of God will guard you like, you know, those Roman soldiers. Except the peace of God is a better guard. It will keep you. It will over." Look your life. It will protect you and be nearby. So that's where he stopped. That's where we stopped last week. And, and you're left with the question, okay, so I got this amazing piece that, that guards me. So am I in prison then? <laughs> am I under lock and key and there's nothing else for me to do? Just wait, cross my fingers, twiddle my thumbs, and just let go and let God do everything? No, that's not where Paul stops here. What does a guarded mind do? That's point one, okay? If there's, I don't know if I'll get through all four of them, but I'm going to try. Here's the first thing the, the Apostle Paul says in verses 8 and 9. One, 
is an invitation. This is an invitation for you and me. This is an invitation for you and me to do a bunch of things. We're going to talk about those. Um, but the, the, the first thing to do is to consider how important is your mind living the Christian life? I don't know if we think about this enough. I don't know if I talk about this enough. Your mind is a powerful weapon. It, it can be an incredible ally when you're facing something like anxiety, or it can be a terrible liability and drag you further down. Paul is acknowledging your mind is critical in this battle. After we've received the promise that the Lord is near, after we've engaged with God in prayer, after we've been assured that the peace of God is going to guard us and protect us, there's, there's stuff to do here. <laughs> we're, not, we're just getting started. There's things to do. And I think when people approach anxiety, they tend to fall into either one of two traps. One is to totally disengage and do nothing, just wait. And the other is to just busy themselves with meaningless activities that are really disconnected from God and therefore render them ineffective, right? So they get really busy uh, and distracted or like totally give up and disengage. And Paul, I think, is trying to correct both of those. And he starts with the mind. Your mind is a powerful thing. And I, I'm not going to stand up here and give you paper cuts, making you turn all through the Bible of all the places that Paul talks about the mind. But I just want to remind you of a couple. One is Colossians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul says, set your mind on things above, where Christ is, right? Not on the things down here on the earth. And then if you read carefully that passage, he tells you to seek. So there's this, set your mind on this and then seek. That's interesting. That's a pattern you see all through the Bible. Paul starts with the mind. He doesn't start with emotions or feelings. He starts with your mind. That's where all the writers start with. Set your mind on things above and then seek. And Jesus did the same thing, honestly, in Matthew chapter 6. You know, when Jesus is talking to anxious people that are fearful, that are concerned, that are worried, do you remember what he, what he, he said to do? Jesus basically only gives one or two commands in that passage. Do you remember what it is in the Sermon on the Mount? Consider. <laughs> consider. He says, consider the birds. Consider the flowers. And then the next verb is, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things that be added to you. Do you see the pattern there? Consider, consider, then get busy, right? You start with the mind. Set your mind on something first, and then you can get busy later. And you see that pattern played out here in Philippians too. In fact, can I geek out for just a minute on what the Greek actually says here? He gives, Paul gives this list. Eight virtues, if you want to call them that. And they're amazing. This is an amazing list, and I'm not going to do an etymological word study. They're, they're plain enough in what they mean, okay? But at the very end of it, after Paul lists the final virtue, he says this. He says, think on these things. Think on these things. And that word think, as is usually the case in the Bible, I love the fact that God chose Greek to write the New Testament because these words are so powerful and so deep. The word for think is legizomai. That's a fun word to say. Say it with me. Legizomai. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sounds like a ginsu knife or something, doesn't it? That's the word from which we get our Latin word logic. And the root of that Greek word is logos. It means word or thought. And what Paul is saying is, think deeply about these things. It's the same word used in Greek to solve a math problem. He's saying calculate. Some of you have a translation that says, dwell on these things. And that's a good translation in English because in English, that's what we mean when we say that. 
it's usually negative. We say, oh, don't dwell on that. But Paul says, oh, dwell on that. Think on that. The word in, in Greek has the meaning of drill down deep and pound this into your head. Ponder it. Meditate on it. Reflect it. Legitimize it. So he's not saying, you know, take a look at this and say, oh, that's great. Where's my phone? That's not what he's after here. He's saying this, these things, these things are like a healthy pattern for how an anxious Christian, again, don't disconnect this list from the context. Paul's helping people that are anxious. Paul's helping people that are anxious, and he starts with the mind. Your mind is like the front, if you're thinking about a battle, your mind is on the front where you put the most powerful, skilled, and ferocious soldiers. Your mind is on the front rank. That's where the battle starts, and it makes all the difference in the world what happens at that point. Set your mind on these things. Think on these things. Legitimize. Really, this whole passage that Paul is writing from prison, if you take it all in context, Paul is trying to help us have what I would call spiritual buoyancy. Spiritual buoyancy. That's happened once before, and we, we were fine. I don't know what causes it, but we still have a microphone that works, and thankfully I can still see my notes, so we're good. Spiritual buoyancy, you know what that is? It's, I think of a song that I grew up hearing over and over. I get knocked down, but I get... You know you want to sing it. How are you ever going to keep me down? That's it. That's the idea. It's like a beach ball. Paul, he's in prison. He's back up. Paul, he's getting persecuted. He gets stoned. He gets drugged out of the city and left for dead. He gets arrested by the Jews who are supposed to be religiously where he's at. He keeps getting back up again. He keeps getting back up again. Why? Because Paul has this peace that is attending him. And that's part of the peace that surpasses all understanding. I wish I would have dealt with this last week, and I'm not going to today. It's going to take, I got too many other things to say. But I, I have found in this passage ways that I have understood this in the past that were just surface level that were a little bit misguiding to me. I've always thought when it says the peace that surpasses all understanding, it meant that now there's this peace here and nobody can understand it. It's so, mad, it's so deep. It's so crazy. You can't even explain it. Don't even try to. It can mean that, yes. But I think what the Apostle Paul meant is this peace that he has is so much more powerful than anything else we could do. It's like the same piece that you heard about the, the hymn writer that sang it as well with my soul. Have you guys heard that story? If I've shared it before, forgive me. This man lost everything in the Chicago fires of the early, when was it, Jackson? 1900. You've been studying about that. He lost his business. He lost, I think, maybe his home. He lost everything. But he had his wife and he had his four daughters. So they were going to just start their life over. He put his wife and his four daughters on a ship, sent them to, I think, to America. I think he was, no, he was in America in Chicago. He put them on a ship, sent them to uh, England, and he had to stay behind and get everything ready. And on the way over there, you know the story probably, the ship they were on collided with another ship. All four of his daughters drowned. The wife survived. She sent him a wire, a telegram, when she got to London and said, I alone have survived. What do I do now? And he said, I'll join you shortly. He got on a boat. He was sailing over the Atlantic, the very place where his four daughters drowned, four of his, of his most earthly possessions, the very spot where they drowned, he wrote the hymn. Maybe you've heard it. I'm not going to sing it because I'll cry, but I'll...
attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows rose. See, now you know the context. Why is that sea billows thing in there? Because he was on the ocean when he wrote it. What's the next verse say? <laughs> Whatever my lot, meaning my circumstance, which is not good for him at the minute, right? Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How in the world do you say that when you lost your four daughters? How do you say that? Thou hast taught me. Thou hast taught me to say this. Would you be anxious if you lost your business, you lost your home, you lost your daughters? I'd be anxious. How do you combat that? That's just one little illustration from history of, I think, what Paul's talking about. Spiritual buoyancy. You know, he wrote in another place in 2 Corinthians 4, he said, we're cast, but we're not destroyed. It's like, we're pushed underwater, but we're not drowning. We keep getting back up. Why? Well, Paul's trying to tell us here in Philippians, there's this secret, right? He'll talk about that later, the secret to contentment. All of this is together. All of chapter 4, I think, is one unit about how to stand firm, how to combat anxiety. And he's telling us here that your mind is so critical. It is like the very front of the battle. And, and Paul actually gives us like four really packed verbs in this section here. He says, stop, pray, think, and then act. That sounds pretty comprehensive, doesn't it? It doesn't sound simplistic. And that's the problem, I think, brothers and sisters, when we're dealing with anxiety, so many, oh, I want to be optimistic, some Christians take a very simplistic approach to it and they pull one of those verbs out of their back pocket, and man, they'll throw it at you like a platitude, right? Just stop. You're anxious, just stop it. You're anxious, just pray. You're anxious, just get busy. You're anxious, it's just one of these just. And Paul, there's no just here. This is comprehensive help. It's not just this or just that. It's the whole package Paul gives us. The, the promises and the prayer and engaging with God and the peace... Then he says, it's time now to talk about your mind. This is an invitation that Paul gives. And another moment of transparency here. When I've studied this in the past, and when I've heard messages and lessons on this, people have managed to turn this into one big list of thou shalt nots. All these eight things, you know, you're not going to find any negative command in any of this. Which is interesting to me, because that's the first place that people tend to go when we interpret this. This is an invitation. Paul says, hey, look, you're struggling with anxiety. I understand, and I want to help you. Legizomai. <laughs> Think deeply about whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is honorable, whatever is excellent, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is commendable. Do you hear that? Whatever. This is an invitation. Paul's saying, here's just a starting point for an endless world of possibility. This is my father's world, and there are endless things out there that are going to remind you of beauty and of truth and the, the power and the care and the concern of God. I mean, that's what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. You know what he told anxious people to do? Hey, Jesus basically said, which sounds so counterintuitive to me, honestly, with the conversations in Christian circles about how to combat anxiety. You know what Jesus said? He said, hey, take a walk. Take a walk with me. Come on, let's go. Look at, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. You know what he's doing? I think Paul got his list from Jesus. 
I mean, we'll get to this later. That whole list points to Jesus anyway, right? <laughs> He's saying, look at, the, look at the birds. Think about that. Our birds lovely. Our flowers lovely. It's okay. You can say yes. <laughs> they are. He's saying that's just a starting place. And this is not just some positive cognitive therapy, even though I'm not opposed to that. Whatever you want to call it, call it that, okay? He's saying, let's combat those anxious thoughts with these thoughts right here. Consider the flowers. Consider that God loves you more than those. See, those lead you to these profound spiritual truths that pack a punch. God says, you see that flower? You see how beautiful it is? It didn't go shopping. It didn't worry about it. It had insufficient funds on its debit card. God clothed it. God cares about that flower. He cares more about you. That's the Jewish argument that starts at the bottom and goes to the top. How much more valuable are you to God than that flower or that bird or that tree or that horse or whatever it is, right? Whatever. There's six whatevers here. In fact, let's look at them in the dim light here. I can still see a little bit. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. And then Paul like pushes the throttle forward even more and pushes on the gas pedal. He goes from whatever to if there's anything. Paul's like, I don't even trust myself. Is there anything I'm leaving out here? Is there anything excellent? Is there anything worthy of praise? And, and, and earlier, uh, Marilyn said, yes, there is, Paul. <laughs> Let me help you, right? There's plenty of things that are commendable and praiseworthy and excellent and lovely and true. Here's, here's the principle, okay? I'm going to put two points together here. My first point was, this is an invitation. And my second point was, there is a caution here, an implicit caution. I'm going to put them both together. So here's the invitation. Based on a principle. What you put into your mind will come out. What goes in, goes out. It's inevitable. Okay? What you are putting into your mind and your heart is going to show up somewhere else in your life. You know, when I was a teenager, there was a guy named Jack LaLanne. How many people have ever heard that name, Jack LaLanne? I just want you to help me here with my illustrations. Okay, mostly people over 40. That's okay. Those of you that are under 40 know who he is because he made a juicer. Just, if you want to start juicing and you Google juicer, you're going to see his name all over the place. He started the juice fad, the juice movement. He started it. When I was a teenager, I saw it had to be an infomercial. It had to be one of those... At, uh, you know, I was home after school watching cartoons, okay? I was a teenager watching cartoons. There, I said it. And this infomercial came on, and it was this dude that was old, but oh my word, man, he was ripped out of his mind. And he, was, he did a 1,000 push-ups in 22 minutes. Did you know that about Jack LaLanne? He did a 1,000 chin-ups in under an hour. I mean, he did all these feats of strength to prove the fitness movement. He pulled, set, when he was 70 years old, he pulled 70 boats, with 70 people in them, a mile, I think from the island of Alcatraz to the San Francisco or San Diego, wherever that is, Bay. That's a, it's over a mile and a half in frigid waters. He was handcuffed and his feet were bound. The dude was 70 and he did that. You want to know a secret? This is a sermon. It's not an infomercial, but check this out. I saw this infomercial and it was Jack LaLanne and he did a demonstration that I'll never forget. Here I am, 45 years old, and I still haven't forgotten it. He had this big bowl. And he said, let's just see what people put in their bodies in the morning. And he threw some donuts in there. He threw some coffee. He may have thrown some cigarettes. I don't remember. It was vivid, okay? 
He threw milk and cream and butter and all this fattening, gluten-laden bread and stuff, and he stirred it up and mixed it. It was, it was gross. It was disgusting. And he said, you guys are all laughing. He said, most Americans wake up and do this to their body every day. <laughs> he didn't say it like that, but it, it, it was, you didn't need him to say anything. The visual demonstration was enough. And what Jack LaLanne was saying is, if people put all this garbage in their body, why are they shocked when they get sick all the time? And they're tired, and they have insomnia, and da 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 And I'll just remember, like, the dude's right, you know. He, he was a bodybuilder, and he started a gym, and he made from homemade scratch all this homemade equipment. But Jack LaLanne had a saying that was I'll never forget. He said, exercise is queen. Diet is king. Put those two together and you got yourself a kingdom. And I think, my friends, that there are spiritual parallels. You know, we get it when it comes to the body. And by the way, you know, what followed the demonstration with the donuts and the coffee and all that. Then Jack Elaine said, let's see what we ought to be putting in our bodies. And he brought out the Jack Elaine juicer. And he put apples and cucumbers and celery and spinach and all kinds of stuff. And it was just a beautiful green color you know you want that in your body not the donuts and the coffee and all that stuff but i mean we get it i mean what you put in an engine matters any motorheads out there you know you better use you know 10w30 and <laughs> change the oil every 3000 because it matters what you put in the engine matters what you put in your computer matters it better be uncorrupted you know encrypted data coded and i don't know I'm, I'm not a computer whiz but it better not have any viruses attached to it right because it's going to slow down the efficiency and the production of your computer. We get that. It's like, duh, yeah. What you put in the, com in the computer, guard it. What you put in your body, really guard it. Well, what about what you put in your mind? Garbage in, garbage out. What are you filling your mind with? I read this the other day. Man, this still staggers me to think about this, guys. Recent research shows that Americans spend an average of 10 hours a day consuming media. Now, by media, I mean the whole gamut. Music, TV, magazines, books, talking heads, talk radio, uh, social media, so that would include Twitter, whatever, Instagram, Facebook, all of that. 10 hours, man. I couldn't believe it. 10 hours. And so here's the invitation, okay? Here's the invitation. Don't see me up here scolding you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just here to, for us to all face the facts, okay? I think so often we are consumers. We consume media. And especially right now, I believe during this pandemic, there are like loads of anxiety, loads of anxious people. And one of the contributing factors may be, I don't know, but it may be that all of the media that we're consuming, I've never read so many articles about this pandemic or about COVID-19. And guys, there are so many uncertainties, uncertainties that even experts can't agree on. When did this virus get here? How long is it going to stay? Will a vaccine help? Should we, should we aim for herd immunity? No. Should we close down society? No. I mean... Experts can't even agree. Do you know how many uncertainties there are? And we sometimes we fill our mind with uncertainties. And it's interesting to me that one of the first things that the Apostle Paul lists at the very top of this list is what? Whatever is what? True. Whatever's true. Now, he's not just combating falsehood. I think the Apostle Paul is combating uncertainties. We spend 
a lot of our time entertaining possibilities that may never materialize. You guys know this, don't you? That's what one person described worry as spending today's resources on tomorrow's possibilities, right? I mean, we're entertaining the worst possible scenarios sometimes. What if I get COVID-19? What if somebody close to me gets COVID-19? Or not even maybe related, but indirectly. What if I lose my business? What if I don't get my stimulus check? What if I lose my job as a teacher? You know, what if I don't get to have a track meet this season? I mean, endless possibilities of things that, are may, that may or may not happen. And again, I know there's the, you attack what if with even if. But Paul says maybe even a lot of the even if is unnecessary because we're filling our minds with things that aren't necessarily true, right? I could say a lot more about that. I do want to say one more thing, and my wife and I talked about this a lot this week. I think so often when we see a list like this, if we're not careful, we can, we can walk away with, again, this, this big list of prohibitions. And at the top of the list, and I'm, and I'm agreeing, at the top of the list are, are, are terrible things that are filled with pollution and corruption and violence and nudity and language. And we think of movies, right? First, we think of movies and maybe music. It's like Paul is saying, get as far away from those things as we can. And I agree, he is. He is. Even though there's nothing negative in here, there's a positive, reinforced, whatever's true, whatever's lovely, beautiful, the other things, be cautious about. But I also want to say this. I think sometimes what contributes to our struggles with anxieties is we also leave out the other things, maybe not the 50 shades of gray, you know, it doesn't fall into that category like duh, or maybe a, a, a Game of Thrones, if you will, that kind of stuff that for a lot of Christians is more obvious and they are in more agreement like that's bad stuff. But also things that just have, I've talked about it before and if this offends you, that's okay. If you want clarity, come and talk to me about it. I think there's a, a, a lot of resources out there that they fall into the category of sentimentalism. For example, when I was growing up, a safe show to watch was Little House on the Prairie, right? You guys may not know what that is, that's okay. I still think it's a great show to watch. It's one of my favorites. I love it. Or Leave it to Beaver, right? Or there's a whole host of movies today that would fit under the genre they call Christian. Now, I've told you before as your pastor, I don't even like the word Christian as an adjective. I don't like it. It bothers me. Because Christian's not an adjective. It's a noun. There are Christian artists, but don't say there's Christian art. I know what you mean, okay? But it's just better. We're all safe and we protect ourselves. But there was this whole genre of Christian movies. And in my estimation, even though they're clean, they don't have language, they don't have nudity, they don't have violence, that's great. But I find in some of the cases that the Christian life they're depicting for you isn't necessarily true either. Like everybody lives happily ever after. And the person that had cancer, it was healed miraculously, which can't happen. I'm not mocking that. The woman who was infertile, she gets pregnant. You know, the football team that couldn't win a championship to save their life, they won state. <laughs> Are those things necessarily true? No, not always. Sometimes Christians get killed. Sometimes they get thrown into a coliseum, sewn up into wild animal skins, and they get devoured. Sometimes they get put in Nero's garden, and they get set on fire. That's true, too. So all I'm saying is, I think what the Apostle Paul says, there's this invitation to be cautious, but to be cautious all the way around. You know, if there's something that's depicting a quote-unquote Christian reality and it doesn't comport with what we see in the Bible, you need to be cautious of that too because that can end up making you just as anxious 
as the other stuff that's just garbage and violent. Does that make sense? I hope I'm, I hope I'm comporting today. I just want to, I want to get the spirit of what I think the Holy Spirit is, is, is giving us in this list here. Whatever is truth, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is noble and dignified. And, and what I think Paul is after, if you want a summary statement, the Apostle Paul is saying whatever is lofty, whatever is lofty and elevated and lifted up, go after those things. Don't go down here. Don't, that's not going to help you. Aim high. That's why he says in Colossians, with a parallel passage, I think, set your mind up here. Paul never says, set your mind down here. Right? <laughs> set your mind down on the earth where there's base things. That, I mean, flip this list and do the opposite. Whatever's not true, whatever's hideous, <laughs> whatever's dishonorable and corrupt and base and violent and blood filthy, set your mind on those things. Ever no peace and you'll be anxious and apprehensive the rest of your life, you know, amen. <laughs> so that's what he's after, I believe. But I wanted to read something. I'm reading a book for the second time. And if you want a good resource on how can Christians be good consumers of culture and at the same time be good producers of culture, man, this book's amazing and it's easily accessible, it's readable. And the author's name is memorable, Dr. Daniel Strange. How do you like that? He wrote a book called Plugged In, and it's kind of a guide for how do Christians make sense of all the stuff around us, video games, movies, books, music. How do we com comport that with our faith? And he says something that's just too good to pass up. So, because he's, he's talking about so often Christians just get this idea, well, I guess I just can't go outside. It's too evil. It's too bad out there. And that's what Paul meant, certainly. He meant just like hunker down in your bedroom and wait till Jesus comes back because it's just too, it's too dangerous out there. And here's what he says. Oh, this is so good. He said, I'd like to ask some hard questions here. Could it be that because our own cultural pantries are bare, our starving imaginations are forced to live off the world's scraps? He's talking about why are some Christians so tempted to just consume the media that's the opposite of what Paul talks about here. And he's given an answer. Are we always consuming culture and never creating it? Oh, I like this. Check this out. Why aren't we telling better stories with all the same realism, imagination, subtlety, complexity, and beauty, but without those aspects which make it difficult and unhelpful for us? Why aren't we strategically locating, discipling, resourcing, and sending out Christians gifted in the arts and the media? It can start with you, he says. Write a poem. Hum a tune. Doodle a picture. Imagine a plot line. Draft a screenplay. To create rather than just consume will mean making conscious choices. There are only 24 hours in a day we will need to prioritize. Our social media habits will need to be carefully examined. So we are less distracted and more disciplined in exercising our minds. But our hungry imaginations will thank us for the feast. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying instead of just being so afraid, the world is such a dangerous place, all the media is out there is garbage. He's saying, why don't you produce something better? And if you do what Paul's telling you here, you can and you will. Because what you put in comes out. I don't know if this will make any sense to you. I hope it does. I went and visited a... Uh, a good friend and a member of ours, a couple of weeks ago. And I saw there at his house some carpentry work that another Christian that belongs to this church had done. And I was blown away. I'm a carpenter. Don't ask me to do anything for you because I'm busy. <laughs> kind of joking there. 
I'm a carpenter, so I can recognize good work when I see it, and I can recognize shoddy work when I see it, because I've done it before. Sorry, shameful confession here. Man, this, this carpenter, it's everything that's on this list. I'm serious. He could have cut corners. I know how to cut corners. Joe, carpenters know how to cut corners if we want to, don't we? This guy's work was solid. I mean, he had installed windows. He had built a deck. He had done painting and planning and designing, and there was architecture. It was a lot of work. It took, it took him months to do it. And this guy put, if, there, if, if four screws would have been enough, he put eight. If maybe you could do caulking, man, he like put epoxy around it. He beautified it. He enriched it. I was amazed. I was blown in. And you know what? Maybe I should just tell you it was Terry Jackson. Shameless advertising for Terry Jackson here. Amazing carpenter. Christian carpenters ought to be the best carpenters. I'm serious. Why? Because we're not filling our mind with this thought. How can I just cut a corner here and get the maximum amount of money and do the least amount of service? This is just an illustration. It's all it is. But I'm just telling you, that's just one application. And it, some of you own businesses. I'm looking at some of you that own businesses. You know, you ought to provide the best. I think a Christian ought to be the best business owner, the best police chief, the best eye design owner, the best carpenter, teacher. We ought to produce art. We ought to sing songs. We ought to draw pictures. We ought to serve in a manner that just draws attention to the transforming and, and, and the power of Jesus. We ought to own salvage yards and whatever it is to the glory of God. I think that's what Paul is after here. Now you may think, what in the world has that got to do with anxiety? It's got everything to do with anxiety. Because what you put in your mind will come out. And if you're focusing on all the things that are wrong with the world and all the things that may or may not be true, all the endless uncertainties and possibilities that may not even materialize tomorrow... That's going to show up in whatever it is you do and say and produce. And I think Dr. Daniel Strange is after something here, after something powerful. This has such potential, guys, seriously. Instead of saying, well, I guess I can't watch that. I guess I can't read that book. Write a better book, <laughs> right? We've got the resources to do it. We've got the Holy Spirit. We ought to be the most creative people. I think Christians should. By the way, thank you all for... Not being distracted by all this stuff. You guys are amazing. All right, where were we? <laughs> so, um, and by the way, uh, let me really apply this, okay? I've got a sheet on, my, on top of my desk in my office, and it's got 100 things that are true about you if you're a child of God. Oh, my word, man. That's some of the most powerful. When I'm really, when I'm really having a bad day, you guys love it when I share my garbage with you, don't you? You know what I do when I'm having a terrible day? I lock the front door. I turn the lights off. I got a little lamp I turn on in my office. I lay in the floor and get a pillow. It's a, a seat pillow. And I got this beautiful framed artwork of Philippians 4, 8, and 9 that my friend Melissa gave me. And I take it off the wall and I stare at it. <laughs> I do. It's true. You'd laugh if you saw me. And I pray. Lord, whatever is honorable, whatever. And, I get, and when I'm done, I get that sheet off, my, off the top of my desk and I read these things. You are in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. You are indestructible until God's finished with you. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus. You have a meaning that suffering can't touch. You have an identity that can transform your behavior. 
There's no condemnation for you. You're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. You have an inheritance reserved in heaven for you, undefiled and unfading. I can go on all day. Those are all, amen, hallelujah. (laughs) Those are all true. They're all true. And when you set your mind on those things, guys, I'm not saying it's a silver bullet and all the anxiety goes away. I'm just saying you are putting yourself in the best possible situation to confront those thoughts that are anxious. God has given us so many powerful realities. Now, I want to say something else to you, and I want you to hear me as your pastor. I want to be so pastoral today. What Paul is calling us to do here is not easy. It's not easy. Legizomai requires focused concentration. Again, it's the same Greek word used to solve an arithmetic problem. And there are times in your life, in my life, whether you're a Christian or not, our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's things sometimes go haywire in our body that we can't explain. Sometimes doctors can't even explain it. And sometimes chemicals in your brain, I don't even have the right vocabulary to describe it. Sometimes hormones, things are just off. And you find that you are unable to hold a rational cognitive thought. You're not able to focus. You're not able to concentrate. You're not able to even do some of the things that Paul is inviting us to do. You find it very challenging, if possible at all. And then you lose sleep. You have insomnia. Now, I'm speaking from experience. My wife had one of the most debilitating bouts of anxiety and depression that I've ever seen. Maybe because I lived with her, right? And we sought counsel, and we sought help, and we prayed, and we fasted, and we read the Bible out loud. We memorized Scripture. I read sermons out loud to her. She didn't want me to preach to her, understandably, right? (laughs) I came home one day, and there were sticky notes all over our apartment in California when I was in the middle of seminary. And one of those sticky notes said, no, you are not crazy. Which, that's good, that's true. That was about as far as she could get where she was. Five nights without sleeping at all. And we sat down and we talked, and I said, okay, we're going to go talk to a doctor. It's time. We've done all we could, and we're going to go talk to a doctor, and we're not going to let anybody judge us or heap condemnation on us. Because at the time, I was in an environment where it was almost an unspoken principle that Christians don't get depressed, but if they do, they certainly don't go to a doctor because we have everything we need in the Bible and with the Holy Spirit. And so medicine is an assault on that. that was, I'm just being honest with you, and if this helps some of you, praise God. We got to a point where we said, look, we're going to have to go and talk to a doctor because we're not getting anywhere. So we went, and I've shared this story before, so I'm going to shorten it here. And my wife was pres- prescribed a very mild dose of an antidepressant, depressant, and what that did was reset her body. It helped her sleep. Now, I say mild dose. I'm even feeling the need to, to, to describe that it was mild, as if, if it was severe, then it's not okay. I'm just telling you our story. And for a couple of months, I think, she, she stayed on that mild medication. And you know what? It reset her body. She was able to sleep. Then she was put back on the battlefield where she could do these things. And I want to tell you this. I'm not a doctor. I am a pastor. But I know this, I know that we are body, soul, and spirit, and our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made, and there are complexities that happen sometimes because we live in a fallen world, and that affects our health. I have never, as a pastor, and I never will, told anybody 
to take medication. And I won't because I'm not a doctor. And I have never told anybody to stop taking medication because I'm not a doctor. But I will tell you what I have told people that have came and talked to me. I've said, you know what? You should probably pray about going and seeing a trusted family doctor and just maybe doing some blood work and just getting his. What I want to leave you with is this. I do not think that when it is necessary that taking medication is somehow a compromise on your Christianity or your faith. And maybe that will help you, okay? Do I think that there's a, a, a prescription happy doctors out there? Sure there are. <laughs> are there some people that can go and see a doctor and shake his hand and say my name is and before they finish they got a prescription for whatever in their hand? Sure there are. But are there also some doctors that are careful and that are helpful and that listen to you and help you walk through? Absolutely. We saw a Christian doctor who believed in the sufficiency of scripture and also that when God gives us something helpful like medicine, we receive it with prayer and thanksgiving. So I think, should you take medication for an anxiety or depression you have? I can't answer that question for you, but I will tell you this, that's a decision that you and your family need to make together with prayer, with humility, maybe seek out a Christian leader that you trust and if it's necessary, receive it with thanksgiving. So whatever help that I'll, and if you want more information on that, come and talk to me, come and talk to my wife about it. I would love to share more. One more point before we go, okay? You guys still with me? All right. So first, it gives you an invitation along with a caution uh, to just tap down deep and explore all these things, whatever, whatever, whatever is honorable, true, noble, and if there is anything else. And then Paul does something really interesting here. Look at the very end. Verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So first he says, think about these things. And then the next verse he says, practice these things. So again, it's just the principle. What goes in comes out. And what Paul is saying is sometimes you need help. Sometimes you need a mentor. You know, we're not supposed to live the Christian life by ourselves. We need help. We need each other. We're better together. We're stronger when we're, we are united. That's why we have community groups. That's why we encourage you to fellowship. That's why we encourage D groups or fight clubs, whatever you want to call it, where you can have another Christian in the trenches with you. You can be real. You can be vulnerable. You can be transparent. You can say, hey, I'm struggling with anxiety. Can you pray with me? Can you help me? Paul is telling this anxious congregation, look, do you remember when I was with you? I walked among you. We fellowship. We broke bread together. You watched me pray. You heard me combat anxiety. You saw how I handled persecution and affliction. We were together. Practice what I practice. Follow my pattern. That's a good thing. You know, there are people in this congregation that I believe are cutting a great pattern for you. I'm so thankful that God has given us some some disciplined and mature Christians that I wholeheartedly tell you, hey, look, watch the way they are living their life and go do likewise. They will help you. Paul is saying we need each other. They had the Apostle Paul. Even though he's in prison, he's saying, you remember when I was there? I showed you how to do this. So not only are you setting your mind, you're also, you need help. It's okay. Cutting this a little bit short here, but uh, just the last point is this. Jonathan Edwards, I read a sermon the other day. He wrote, he wrote a sermon in the middle of the Great Awakening called The Excellency of Jesus Christ. And that whole sermon is just Jonathan Edwards rehearsing all the things that are beautiful, that are true, that are honorable, 
that are commendable, that are praiseworthy about the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you guys know, don't you, that these are just, this list of virtues, it's Paul kind of teasing you. <laughs> He's saying, hey, whatever is out there, whatever you can find that is true and noble and praiseworthy and commendable, go find it. And then it's almost as if he whispers, but you're not going to do it any better than what God's already given you, right? Which is what? The written word, the Bible, and the living word, Jesus Christ. He is like, He's the pinnacle of all those things. I am the way and the truth and the life. He's the spotless Lamb of God. He's truth impersonated. He's truth... Uh, what's it called at Christmas? The He's truth incarnate. Yeah, sorry. Whew. Thought escaped me. So he is inviting us to like think back to Christ. Ultimately, that's where all these signposts and arrows are pointing to Christ who loved you, who gave himself for you, who died in your place, who sent his Holy Spirit to fill you and to teach you and to remind you of all these things, to empower you, to illuminate your mind and heart. And I think this is an invitation that Paul's giving us on the Bible too, right? You haven't heard me stand up here and wag my finger and say, if you're watching three hours of Netflix, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to do that. But I will tell you this, Paul's inviting you to do that. He's inviting you to examine your lifestyle. Seriously. You know, when you were little and you went to the doctor, or maybe not when you're little, maybe even when you're now, you go to the doctor, you're not feeling well, and he, man, he asks hard questions, doesn't he? And they're embarrassing, honestly. I hate them. He goes, well, okay, now let's talk about your sleep, Tommy. How are you sleeping? Well, don't ask me that. I don't want to I sleep four hours a night, but so. Oh, okay. Well, what are you eating? Are you eating high saturated fats? Are you... Are you exercising every day? Let's talk about that. You're like, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> There's been a few times in my life when I went to a doctor and I was like, bring it on. Ask me anything. <laughs> ask me what I'm eating. I'm juicing kale, man. I get eight hours a night. I get up and run two miles. Come on, ask me. And he goes, are you flossing? And I'm like, oh, dang. <laughs> There's always something that you don't want the doctor to ask you. And I will tell you, those of you that, that are cutting a, a Maybe you're cutting a course through life and you find yourself with a whole lot of independence. Maybe not by choice, but just by design, by necessity. Maybe you don't have a whole lot of people close to you that will ask you questions like this. Man, I want to tell you, you need to pray and ask God to help you. Because this list is Paul really inviting us, like you should really examine the things you're consuming. How much Netflix are you watching? What social media platforms are you on? And, and would it help you? Now remember, the whole thing here is anxiety. Would it help you to take a break from social media? Some pastors get up, you should never be on social media. I'm not going to say that because I'm not the Holy Spirit. But you need to ask God to help you answer that question. If you're anxious already and you're spending five hours a day on social media, talk to God about that. I'm confident he will answer you and give you good guidance. If you're binge watching violent series on Netflix and you're scared somebody's going to break into your house, maybe a connection there. I don't know. Some of this is common sense, right? But all the breadcrumbs will lead you back to Christ. And he is the pinnacle of all excellence and commendation and honor and praiseworthy. And man, just considering Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, you know, ran the race, despised death, right? And was obedient to the point of the cross. So much more could be said. We're going to stop there for now. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity to just tap down deep into uh, how to combat anxious thoughts, Lord. Thank you for the time you've given us. Forgive us for our sin. Help us to put these things into practice. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're going to have a time of reflection real fast, and then I'm going to introduce uh, a new member into our fellowship. So let's take this time, reflect on what you've heard, ponder these things, maybe take this time to, to ask God about these things. And you know what? We're going to have our prayer team in the back. If you are struggling particularly with anxiety right now, maybe from the lockdown, maybe thinking about what the new normal is going to be like, I want to invite you. If you feel safe, doesn't mean you have to bear hug somebody and pray with them. Go back there and pray with them while we do this song of reflection, and then we'll come back together. thousand stories of what they think you're like and I've heard tender whispers of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone your good, good father, so you were, so you were, so you were, and I'm loved by you. So I am, so I am, so I am. Oh, I've seen many searching for answers. Far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers. Only you provide, cause you know just what we need before we say a word. Your good, good Father, so you were. So you were, so you were, and I'm loved by you. So I am, so I am, so I am. Cause you are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Love so undeniable, I, I can hardly speak. And peace so 
unexplainable. I, I can hardly think as you call me. Deeper still as you call me. Deeper still as you call me. Deeper still in love. The love your good, good father. So you are, so you are, so you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's your good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. Just a couple of announcements for you guys before Tommy comes and introduces new members and does the charge. Um, this week, our newsletter for the month of June will be going out um, on Tuesday. So if you are not um, on our email list and you would like to know um, just our summer plans for gathering um, and some other key announcements for June, you can join um, the email subscription by either emailing me at contact at gracelifeflorida.com or if you go to our website, there's a little about tab and then there's a, a little button that says connect with us under there. There's um, a contact form where you can ask for prayer, um, ask to be added to the text message list or the email list, or there's just a little button that you can do it yourself. You type your email right in and it uh, hooks you up uh, automatically, which is really cool. Um, and then I also just wanted to mention that if you um, want to keep a safe distance and you don't want to exit out of the lobby um, with everyone at the same exact time, you want to keep space, these um, exit signs right here that you see right in this room um, go right out, right, right outside and you can walk around to the parking lot just so you know that that's an option for you. Um, and then at this time, I'll invite Tommy back up and he'll do new members and the charge for us. Uh, and this goes with uh, the last point, basically. Sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need to reach out to a friend, a mentor, somebody that's patterned this well. Sometimes we just need to talk with somebody. And I want you to know what I told you last week. Uh, Melissa Affalter is a Fieldstone representative counselor, and she would love to help you if you want to talk about anxiety, depression, anything that you're struggling with. She's back there in the back. Or you can go to our website, www.gracelifeflorida.com, and you can go to the resources or get help. And you could set up an appointment with her. She would love. She's, she has an amazing uh, resource to, to reach out and to help people with anxiety. So there's that too. I wanted to leave you with some extra help. And the name of that book that I was quoting from is Plugged In by Daniel Strange. And uh, you'll enjoy that. Well, the Bible says, welcome one another and receive one another to the glory of God. 
you know, typically fifth Sundays when we meet outside and we have a big potluck um, and all the families are together, that's when we typically do this. But the pandemic has robbed us of a few of those. And so today is a fifth Sunday, but we definitely, we had inclement weather, so we weren't going to risk it outside. And uh, probably not the best time to be having a potluck, right? <laughs> At the tail end of a pandemic like that. But we didn't want to deprive Becky. She has been waiting to join our fellowship. And so this is Becky Bruce. She has read the membership book. She's been attending uh, Steve Ekman's community group. She has shared her testimony with them. And one day maybe she'll get to share it with all of us. And she is ready to join. So let's give her uh, a heartfelt, grace-like welcome to our fellowship. And always, always give people the opportunity to share anything they want. So you can share your name and anything else if you want to, or you can just give me the mic back. You know my name. Um, the reason why I'm here is because he went to Christ Community um, in January, I think, gave a, a sermon. You guys got to hear Pastor Larry, and uh, I had been searching for a church community close to me, and I'd been traveling out to Daytona, just really frustrated, but grateful. And then when he came, I found out you guys were here in Daytona. I live in Deland, so I am so happy. Next week I'm here, and I haven't looked back. So I'm... I'm just happy to be here. Thank you guys for wel welcoming me and really glad about Steve and our Bible study. So thank you so much. Yeah, welcome to the, welcome to the fellowship, Becky. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm going to pray for Becky and then I'm going to do our charge and you can join me up here for our charge if you want to. Let's pray and we'll do our charge and be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the hope that we have, uh, that we can drill down deep, Lord, and, and be anchored in this hope of being in Christ and having all the resources we need, your spirit, your word, the church, one another, all the promises that you have given us, Lord. Thank you for protecting uh, us, Lord. Be with those that have a, a compromised health condition, Lord. Be with those who don't yet feel safe. Lord, may they not feel any condemnation or, or, or judgment, Lord. We know you'll... you'll Help them know when it's the right time to regather. Thank you for all the people that came today, Lord. What an exciting morning of worship we've had. Thank you for how good all the children were today, Lord, for a long sermon. It's been a long time, Lord, and I had a lot in me today that I believe you wanted me to share. So go with us now, Lord, as we say our charge together. Fill us with hope and with your spirit and help us to continue our vision to gather, to grow, to go, and to be the insiders for the outsiders. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, you can stand with me, and we will do our charge together. And I think, do we have it up here? Yeah, all right. So say it with me. Help me. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. Sent, if you want to go out this exit, that exit, Whatever exit you want, God bless you and keep you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Becky.